Hey folks, Brian here. Before the show starts, just a quick note. Um, we started recording the show this week. Uh, my microphone was not selected as the proper recording device, so it was recording through my computer's internal microphone, so it sounds like I'm calling from a tin can from the 1920s before uh, I switch over about a minute or so into the show. So don't worry, my voice and my sound quality does get better. My opinions, however, stay just as bad. Enjoy the show. As always, there's Zach and Vince. We're going to talk about the comics that came out on May 10th, 2017. So if you haven't read them, pause the podcast, go read them and come back, because we will spoil them. And this was quite the week. We're going to begin with the first part of the Lazarus Contract, the new four-part crossover between Titans, Teen Titans, and Deathstroke. And just a little PSA for our website, Multiversity Comics. If you go to multiversitycomics.com, you will find all sorts of Lazarus Contract uh, content. We're interviewing all three writers, the interview with Dan Abb that's already up. We have the exclusive preview for all four issues. I'm going to be reviewing the Judas Contract, the Teen Titans book this is a sequel of, as well as the Judas Contract film in the next week or so, and we're going to hopefully have some more uh, Judas Contract and Lazarus Contract stuff up there, so go to multiversitycomics.com, check all that out. But, before we get into anything else, let's talk about Titans number 11, which launches this crossover, uh, scripted by Dan Abnett, illustrated by Brent Booth. Gentlemen, what did you think of part one of the Lazarus Contract? Um, I, I, oh, you want to go first, Vince? No, 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 no. Go for it. Okay, I I had two takes. Okay. My first take is that I really like this. This is like more of the you know I feel like the stuff that Rebirth has just been getting right. Um, you know, just like cool callbacks to old DC history, good character, you know, interactions, just just you know, fun stuff. My kind of opposing take is that this is not Christopher Priest Deathstroke. It's not his Deathstroke in in action? In in tone, you know, like in tone, I feel like his Deathstroke, this Deathstroke sounds just a little bit different, which makes me, I you know, I started reading it and then I was like, it has everyone's name on the front. But then I was like, well, this is probably Abnett scripting it, though. So that's probably it is, why it yeah. sounds a little different. And then and then I got to the credits, and I was like, yeah, it is. Okay. So that was just a little, I guess maybe disappointing is not the right word, but it, it there was a weird tonal dissonance going from last week's issue of Deathstroke to this issue of Titans. Vince, what did you think? Well, I'm, I maybe picked up on a little bit of that, Zach, but I didn't think it was as extremely different um, as you did. I thought, what I thought was, this feels like the better issues of Dan Abnett's Titans so far, with Deathstroke kind of dropped in there as a bomb. Um, and yes, he, he didn't sound exactly like Christopher Priest's Deathstroke, but, uh, but, 
I felt like the motivations and the actions were close enough to that Deathstroke for it to for it to work for me. You know, um, I I know what you're saying because I I did think you know one or two things that he said. I thought okay, that's clearly Dan Abnett writing and not Christopher Priest. But maybe you know maybe in comics it should be like that. You know, I I, I don't mind that um, characters sound different from writer to writer as long as as long as what they're doing feels true to life to me and i think that that was the case um so i guess it just didn't bother me as much but um but i liked this it's kind of similar to the button i liked this more than i expected to as a big fan of of christopher priest's deathstroke but liking how well that book has a lot of cameos it's often its own corner doing its own thing I, w- I have to admit I was a little skeptical of how it would play with other books, and I'm in. I mean, I get yeah, it's not Christopher Priest's Deathstroke, but it feels like a meld. It 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 feels like a good version of what you can expect from a like corporate driven crossover, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, and I admit I'm being like super nitpicky with like calling attention to that and like making that a thing. I I, like, I fully acknowledge that. Yeah, yeah, and that's okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, um, yeah, I, I mean, I think we need to scrutinize these books because, um, um, you know, we can't pretend that everything is like a masterwork, you know? But, right. Uh, right, but, right. Um, but I think um, this book, one of the things that this book did really well was it, it, it captured that, Brian, you were talking before the show about what the Judas con- you reread the Judas contract and what that felt like as a product of its era. Uh-huh. And if you want to expand on that, you can, but, but the point that I'm taking from it is, um, this felt like it had the same sense of high drama, you know, maybe the voice was more modern, like the words were more modern, but like just the opening, the opening sequence where they're taking on, uh, the ravager right yeah and 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 they he ends up dying and slade comes and it's like this highly dramatic almost melodramatic moment but in like a good way in a comic booky way you know right and then later when slade's got uh got wally on, in like the torture device and then you find out that he's got the young wally behind the curtain essentially like it's just it's such a it's such high comic book drama that's that's played up um in a way that's extremely entertaining um i feel like i feel like comics try to err on the more realistic side and i don't mean for like these are people with superpowers i don't mean like they're realistic but i mean like trying to to a very like modern techno realistic you know um sort of like event like marvel movie avengers style approach to this stuff but this to me felt like 100 percent comic books you know just comic book drama all the way and i i really enjoyed it i i'm really pumped for this now sorry that was really long no that's okay i get i get wordy on these things <laughs> no i um i really enjoyed it as well i i feel like one of the things that rebirth has done very well so far is when there's been a crossover, there has been a very succinct pitch you can make for it, 
even if that pitch is not revealed until the end of the book. So, like, for instance, with the button, like, you think it's about the button, right? But it's not really. It's about Batman and the Flash trying to, like, track the reverse Flash through time. It's a very succinct premise. And with this, they were kind of not letting you know what the premise of this book was going to be. You knew it was going to be a crossover between these three books. You knew it was going to be, uh, you know, co-plotted by all three writers. But you can sum this up so perfectly. Bring back Grant and Slade stops being Deathstroke. And I just think that's such a that's such a pragmatic approach for Deathstroke to take. Like, you know, we've been gushing over that book for so long right now it feels like but it really does feel like something that Slade would do like that Slade he's he's a bad guy but he's not he's not really evil you know what I mean like I feel like this is this is a very um it's a very realistic approach for this version of Slade to take and it's also an approach that I think Wally West might be tempted by you know I I think it has a really compelling question behind it and then the bit about Dick Grayson in this I found very, very interesting, too. What did you guys think of that part of it? Um, you mean the part where, like, he's they're trying to uh, uh, enter his mind and... And Lilith knows that he's, that he's lying for some yeah, reason. Yeah, so he knows something. Yeah. He remembers something or seems... He knows something about, about what happened. Yeah. And I feel like Dick is always the most trustworthy character in the room. So to make him not that way, I felt was a very interesting touch, too. Yeah. yeah. I'm so really intrigued what, by this story. What uh, What was it? Yeah, so just about Lazarus. Okay, yeah, but and that's also weird, too, because, like, the term just Lazarus doesn't really... You, you know, this is calling back to Judas' contract. Right. And so you would almost expect it to be like Judas, but and and maybe he remembers something about what happened. Because I, I guess like we were talking a bit, you know, before the podcast started about the Judas contract and how you would. I've never read it, but you you know you're kind of giving us the the background pitch and how leading up to it, the events with with Grant, even though we don't see them, are pretty similar to maybe kind of what we see here at the beginning of this issue. Yeah, if if I'm not mistaken, what happens is that Grant goes to Hive, and Hive gives him powers, and those powers are essentially what kill him, even if he dies, I think... I don't know if he dies fighting the Titans, or if like part of the, like the battle with the Titans took so much out of him that he died later. But it wasn't the Titans that killed him, it was the powers that Hive had given him had killed him. Yeah. So so that's interesting. Also can we talk about maybe like the, the what I guess is a is a discrepancy between what we've seen of Grant and what this issue tells us about grant well that's i think both of us were thinking that our last recording right right yeah and we were saying like oh we can't talk about this yet um because when we see in deathstroke grant's body he's not in the ravager gear right and it it looks like doesn't he get his throat slit yes but that happens to like that's why jericho can't talk 
Is oh, that his, was Jericho. So maybe that, that was Jericho. That was Jericho. Okay, okay. So I had the same thought, but then I, again, rereading the Judas contract. First of all, I don't realize I forgot how much happened in that book. That's where Jericho joins the Teen Titans, and that's also where Nightwing debuts. Oh, uh, Robin retires from being uh, Dick Grayson retires from being Robin, and then debuts as Nightwing in the Judas contract. Huh. Um. So a lot happens there, but you know, obviously the the idea of the Judas contract, the name of the Judas contract, you know, it's a name about infiltration, right? It's like. You get somebody close and then they betray them, like Judas betrayed Jesus. And so I was thinking with Lazarus contract that it was going to be some sort of resurrection story, but I thought it was going to be about a Lazarus pit. But I don't know if we're going to get that uh-huh. or not. Yeah, I don't know. It is, you know, just getting back to tying around to what you, you said, like it is a very interesting core concept that, you know, something Slade wants to do, and, and a good antithesis of what Judas contract was, at least what we're being presented with, that slade is wanting to do something altruistic in order to to kind of like finish this this you know to to kind of put like a closer on on this given situation yeah i mean this also somewhat teases well not teases somewhat gives us an idea of what the deathstroke book will look like after this right yeah um which is one of the shames about solicits I know how great of a surprise would that have been. Just, I mean, it was a good enough surprise just seeing it. Absolutely, but, yeah. yeah. That's, um, that's the that's the comic that's game. the breaks. Yeah. Uh, did you guys notice the uh, even though there wasn't rubbery pizza, there was a reference to pizza. <laughs> well, that's just that continues to be a part of. Uh... DC Comics continued participation in Pizzagate, so... Yeah, well, there, there's a uh, there's a blimp that's flying in the background, and it says, Eat Pizza Fish, Chummy Does. So Pizza <laughs> Fish, I guess, is, like, the brand? Okay. But, yeah, it was it was still there. So Brett Booth was, uh, you know, king of pizza... Brett Booth and Father John Misty, kings of Pizzagate. I mean, I mean, and look, we've been pretty open with our dislike of Brett Booth, and I think that this book not it, not not Brett Booth. I'm sure he's a fine human yes, being. His artwork. Um, but and uh, you know, if if you didn't like Brett Booth's art, I don't think that this is going to change your mind at all. But I will say that he handled the stuff in the Speed Force all right. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. It's about as as grand of an endorsement as I can get. Um, I had totally forgotten until reading this issue that the two Wallies hadn't met yet. Yeah, me too. Actually, yeah, because I, I guess I've, I'd forgotten that Barry is kind of uh, he's he's running interference between them a little bit in in the main book. So what do you guys think? What's the um does this have the potential to be I, I know we've already said the button is better than reborn. Can this be better than than the button, you think? Oh, I think it definitely could be if only because like 
the button has had a few good emotional character beats, mostly with like Bruce and, and Thomas, but just with all of the characters involved here and the history, like this has a potential to just be, you know, like emotion overload, like character, just like great character development and plot beats and stuff. So, yeah, I think, you know, as much as we've liked the button, I think it could take a, hu- I mean, it has, the, I don't think it will, but it has the potential to take a huge left turn into Shitsville in its last issue. <laughs> Fair. Whereas I think we already know enough about what's coming out of Deathstroke and the Titans books to have to believe that that isn't going to happen here. There's not going to be anything so earth shattering that it's absurd. I think. Yeah. I think you meant S town. sorry yeah (laughs) yeah that would be really funny if the teen titans are like we're leaving san francisco for bibb county alabama (laughs) (laughs) oh man they're gonna let uh tyler build them that weird hybrid house out of a trailer as the new titans tower you already remember more about that show than i do he he totally found the money he could build it (laughs) (laughs) that is true podcast crossover okay um hey speaking of speaking of finding the money or coding things in gold did you see the uh wonder woman cold stone flavor that, no. <laughs> that i did yeah it's so if you have a cold stone creamery creamery nearby they're having a, a wonder woman themed flavor dark chocolate triple ba- dark chocolate triple berry ice cream with raspberries something else and gold flake covering coating do you think it'll be i i need your opinion vince because i feel like you're the expert do you think it'll be better or worse than the guardians of galaxy blizzard oh that guardians blizzard was pretty damn good i'll say this um dairy queen has done something in the last couple of years to their ice cream that i don't find it as tasty anymore um, I could do a whole podcast on my theory about what Dairy Queen's up to, but uh, oh yeah, man, so, we got to so get on that. Yeah, when are we going to have our Multiversity Snack Cast? We're like the only pop culture website that doesn't have a, a snack portion. Well, we do have Leo on staff, and Leo has a snack podcast. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's it's tangential to the uh, Multiversity Podcast Network, but maybe not forever. Okay, we'll right. see. Okay. Uh, anything right. else to say about uh, about Titans? No, it's um, good. I'm excited. All right. Well, that brings us to Bug, The Adventures of Forge, number one, written by Lee Alred, illustrated by Mike Alred, colored by Laura Alred. It's a family affair, folks. Um, family affair. Thank you. What did you guys think of this issue? It was... It was solid. Oh, no. What? <laughs> I thought you, this was spectacular. Did I loved you love it? it? Okay, run, it. Run, run away with it, Zach. I, I loved every page of it as well. Oh, yeah, man. It's just like... and I'm every, the... So, like, every Kirby, you know, send, like... Everything that we get, like, keeps trumping the, the thing previously. Like, this is the... This is the best to me. Because okay, this is not just of, like, huh? 
I said, take take it away. Just take slather it. all over it. It's hard. It's hard to, but like, it's not just like bug and, and or new gods. It's like everything that Kirby has done. You know, like we get Sandman stuff in here. We get Omac. We get we get three all... panels from fucking Cosmic Odyssey. <laughs> Oh yeah, you're right. When Batman yeah. punches Orion, that his name was Forager. That's that's directly from Cosmic yeah. Odyssey. Yeah, you're right. That's I the last time that. we see Forager. Yeah, I thought I well see. I thought that was the last time we saw him, but I couldn't quite remember, and I, I didn't get a chance to go back and, and check my I mean, Cosmic Odyssey. I did not check to see if he's appeared since then. That's the last time I remember reading Forager. Right, right. Yeah, that, I mean, you're probably right. Um, man, and just like the all reds are perfect. <sighs> For this they were they're they're made for this you know oh i just i i feel like this is uh i'm gonna be bold, bold and say this is my favorite thing to come out of young animal so far oh man i still think i like cave carson better than this but this is uh i i love this too i loved the dream world stuff i loved that sand the sandman popped up I loved, like, just something as simple as when Bug is talking about the dominoes, how, like, how he was just a domino in the Bug colony, and then on New Genesis, and how he drew those characters falling like dominoes. It's like the simplest thing you can draw, but he just does it so perfectly. Everything about the issue visually was great. Um, Like Zach said, it touches on so many bits of Kirby's legacy, and, you know... It just, it feels, uh, it felt so great to me. I really, really love this. Vince, yeah. throw some cold <laughs> water on us. Why didn't you love this? Uh, I, I don't know, because I'm like the biggest Mike Allred fan ever. Like, I've loved everything he's ever done, and his art is great in this. I mean, he's, he's the way he draws those Kirby characters, it's just perfect. Um, I... I whenever I read a, a all red comic, I wish he were drawing every other comic, <laughs> like ever <laughs> yeah. ever made. Like I could read an entire comic book line just drawn by him, um, but I know that stretches the abilities of one man. So, um, but the, just something about. I don't think there was anything wrong with the premise. I don't think there's anything wrong with the the setup. The, the sorts of Kirby homages that and, and, and actual works from the past that it's pulling from. Like, I think that's all really good, but something about the, something about the issue, something about him just waking up, but then he's really asleep and then he wakes up again and he's just getting, he's getting thrown from encounter to encounter with, a sense of like randomness and it's 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 something in comics that bothers me whenever i read it where where the main character has no idea what's going on and he keeps getting thrown from event to event without understanding what's happening to him and i feel like i feel like that's there's no tether then like like him following a a a bear that has been like imbued with the spirit of something that's carrying him along here. You know, like I just don't, it's not, I, I don't go in as hard for those like fantastical ungrounded types of storytelling like that. 
I'm sure it's going to ground itself later, but like this book took a little bit to get any momentum. You know, I'd say the second half was clearly stronger than the first. Um, just getting it up and running was just not, it, they didn't do it in a way that I was really interested in. Um, yeah. I don't know. Does that I, make I mean, any... that's fair. That's like, yeah. I, I, yeah, that's totally a fair critique. It's definitely like a, it's way headier than I expected it to be. I kind of expected it to just kind of be more like Silver Age, you know, adventuring romp, but it gets like really heady and existential and like the whole, yeah, like Brian mentioned the domino thing and then the the on that same page like the kind of dichotomy of dark side no Ryan and yeah, like what it means to be an individual. Yeah. I thought that was visually very cool, and um, and I liked that the dominoes were set up like a mother box circuit. It was yep. that was a really cool idea. I just yeah, just something about the the storytelling where it's just flinging this character from happenstance to happenstance. Just like <laughs> I, I didn't guess, understand why any of that was happening. I guess what I'll say is I feel like it's not as random and haphazard as maybe it appears right now. Right, yeah, I'm sure like I said, I'm sure there'll be some explanation of, you know, what's going on, but um I don't know. It it reminds me now this is a much better version of what's going on in the in that Commandy book. But it sort of reminds me of Commandy where like in that Commandy Challenge comic we're just he commandy's just getting thrown from like event to event with with so little time to breathe and so little understanding of what and why is actually going on you know like i still don't understand how commandy got from where he was to where he is right now cuz he just keeps getting like flung like i just like that's just the term that i'm going to keep using he's like flung from event to event with with no like time to stop and ground it i don't know and that's that that is a very common thing in like fantasy storytelling and for me it like it always comes off as seeming very random and like like we're just skirting past well this is just happening because it's happening you know and i'm hoping that in future issues there's more of an explanation for what's happening to him i'm sure there will be i just you know this first issue just didn't hook you. Yes, that's that's, that's as good a way of saying it as any. But right. visually, well, I, I guess we'll that. I guess we'll let that slide. Yeah, I'm I'm, enti- I'm entitled to be as wrong as you are about how much you love Suicide Squad, Zach. Yeah. Shut <laughs> up! Gosh, I hate you guys. No, we're gonna we're gonna pin that to you, whether it's true or not. Yeah. Oh man. <laughs> All right, you keep spreading your fake news, Ben. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are you? Uh... <laughs> Fuck, I can't even remember his name. <laughs> J.M. De Mateus. Oh. <laughs> <sighs> oh man. But I mean, and and to, in my defense, I am such a cosmic odyssey mark that you put anything related to that comic, and I would. Uh... I would go nuts for it. So, yeah, 
It's good. I've been wanting to pick up that that deluxe edition that yeah. came out recently. I don't do that for many things, but that one just looks so good. I was just gonna say the exact same thing. I rarely do that, but it's uh, I think I think I'm gonna do it for that book. Yeah, yeah. So, um, all right. Well, that brings us to we're just gonna run through the regular books in alphabetical order. Um, some we'll pause longer on for obvious reasons. Some we won't. Um, Action Comics nine seventy nine. Written by Dan Jurgens, illustrated by Patrick Zercher. Um, oh man, and that's uh, that's all she wrote. There we go. All right, it was a comic happen. Now I guess we have to talk about how the cyborg Superman, the real one, is back. Uh, good again. He's good again. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna blow up Coast City again. Ah, yeah. And we have to talk about how the Kents are leaving their farm, which yeah, seems I, to not be yeah. reflected anywhere else but this book. Right, right. Oh, so it made me wonder if, like, it, you know, it, it, I guess, you know, obviously is coming after what is happening in Superman right now, but also doesn't reference it at all, which is fine. It's a different book, but it's still weird. So, I feel like the easy way around this is to say, like, let's let's maintain a house in both places. That's true, yeah. Um, Clark that, just has to have his his you know house in this his apartment in the city for for all his other all the other ladies. Yeah. <laughs> or or Lois, I guess you know she can all the. All, all the, the fake fellas. Clark Kents to try and fuck her. All the, yeah, all the fake Clark Kents who are coming around when he's off being Superman. The Chinese yeah. food. Yeah, just just wait. someday someday DC will acknowledge that they live in a polyamorous relationship. <laughs> I mean, to be and, fair, you know there are times that she wants to be held by Clark but fucked by Superman. Oh I mean, it's, it's already a polyamorous situation. Oh, Brian, right. Brian, the kids are listening to this. What kids? Comics <laughs> aren't for kids. Come on, they're not. Not anymore. Not anymore. So, so boom, I have boom, I have... pow, zip. <laughs> I always forget which which exclamations you're supposed to use. Yeah. So I just make them up. So I have something big picture to say about this book. <laughs> it's All garbage. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but but what happened this week? was that it really demon th- this book demonstrated to me how comic books that are good can get away with things that comic books that are bad cannot <laughs> okay and what I, what i mean by that is in grant morrison like if grant morrison were writing action comics again and his, his run was uneven but i liked it i did like it a lot on the whole and he had a First of all, he would never do this because he doesn't care about this, I don't think. But, like, if he had Clark and Lois buying an apartment and they were going to specifically say, well, Superman needs a way to get out of here. So it's going to be the top apartment on this building and it's going to have a balcony that he can fly off of. But we have to make sure that everybody realizes that Superman can move fast enough that nobody will see him do that, you know? Right. First of all, is that even true? Because then how has his identity ever been a problem ever? Right. <laughs> you know, second of all, like you are the top, you're in the literally the least conspicuous apartment 
or least inconspicuous apartment <laughs> in Metropolis that you could buy, and that's the one you're going to buy. Yeah. You know, why not just buy a Superman S shaped apartment? Yeah, and and now in a good book, I don't care about those things. You know, in a in a good book, who cares who changes the tires on the Batmobile, as Grant Morrison once said. You know, but in a bad book, I sit there and I think about this stuff because, like, why are we wasting time on it? You know. If you just showed him that they bought an apartment, I don't care the mechanics of whether he can fly out of it or not. You know, I don't or, care. Or even Lois could say, like, could you, you know, disappear for Superman things? And he'd be like, of course I can, Lois. <laughs> they just, like, move on with it that way. Yeah. <laughs> but, Obviously, Lois. Yeah. <laughs> and then with, the, then with the little moment of him, like, when Superman's like, take my wedding band. The world doesn't need to know that Superman is married. <laughs> like, first of all, that kind of makes it sound like Superman wants to go out for some strange every once in a while, <laughs> yeah. which is fine. Again, polya- polyamory, that's fine. But, um, like, it's just, it's such a, it's such a moment in a bad book that, like, you, you look at and you go, well, okay, are we going to have to make sure that every time we see Superman now, he remembered to give his ring to Lois, you know, like, is this, is this literally something that he thinks about every time he flies off? Like, and if he's so I fast, mean, no one's looking at his hands anyway. Well, that's and, the other I thing. Mean, like, it's because the new 50, you know, he's back in his new costume. It doesn't have as many like little lines and pockets for him to put the ring in. That's true. <laughs> and he doesn't have his little tights to, like, tuck it in either. I'm sure that's what he did all through, like, you know, like, pre-Flashpoint. He just tucked it in his little underwear. Nor does he have his beard to, like, tie his ring into because it's super strong hair. Right, that's true, too. <laughs> uh... So here's my problem. He just swallow it. <laughs> <laughs> and then just punch himself in the stomach and blah, comes back up. <laughs> <laughs> or he could just uh, heat vision it out of his stomach like yeah. Zod does his his brain bomb. That is true. Um, we'll get to that. We'll get to that, yeah. Um, I don't understand. I mean, it, the short answer is it's it's Dan Jurgens, But I don't understand why, like, DC Editorial obviously at some point said to Steve Orlando, like, all right, you want to do Super- Cyborg Superman in Supergirl. You want to keep it as um her father great go ahead and do that but then dan jurgen's like but what if we have two exactly identical cyborg supermen running around (laughs) and i get to just rehash the 90s again and they were like okay dan go right ahead like i don't understand that it makes no sense to me this is incredibly confusing to people yeah yeah i don't i don't understand how the superman revenge squad just broke into batman's moon base like it was nothing like First of all, they knew it was there. Second of all, like, well, they're just in it now, you know. I mean, I guess the Eradicator knew it was there because they fought on the moon that time. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah that's right. it. Oh, wow. I want to. I want to pose the I look, question. I look like an uh, idiot now. No, I totally forgot about that too. You're fine. Uh, who, who? What do you think the overlap is in readership between Action Comics and Supergirl? <sighs> Probably fairly high. You think so? I, I just yeah. think that there's a sort of a base number of people who read everything. Maybe that's true. Maybe and that's then true. there's like a subset of that of people who read all the super books. Yeah. 
I just I just feel like the two books appeal to vastly different groups. Oh, you're not wrong about that. I I feel like the and I'm making like very gross generalizations here, and maybe I shouldn't do that, but dum dums read action comics. No, no, I just don't I just don't see how I mean, and I've I've totally bought books before that I didn't even actually enjoy just because of the like collector aspect, and I felt like it was important. So I've totally done that. I've been there, but yeah, the books are just like so different, and then they uh, they they speak to totally different audiences. So I don't know. Well, it wasn't very good. No. Um. That brings us to All Star Batman number ten, written by Scott Snyder, illustrated by Raphael Albuquerque, with a backup co-written by Raphael Albuquerque and Raphael Scavone, and illustrated by Sebastian Fiumara, one of the great Mignolaverse artists. Um, let's talk about the first part of the uh, of the issue, though. Am the- I am I often thinking that this is very good? No, I enjoyed this a lot. Yeah, I th- I think it is. I think it's very good. I agree with you too, Zach. It, with with one little quibble, that is totally completely a personal thing and not not an objective uh, criticism of the book. Can I just get that off my chest? Right Absolutely, away? go for it. I don't care for Job. seeing. No, I don't. What? <laughs> it's uh, Lucille Bluth. I don't care for Job. Oh, I don't care for Job. Yes, that's right. Love all my children equally. Yeah, <laughs> I don't care for Job. Um, no, I don't care for seeing young Alfred or learning any more about Alfred than we already know, and that's just a personal preference. Like, I don't feel the need to see every old character's like young life. I get why they're doing it, and I get why you like do like take these old characters and like you know it's uncharted territory but from a personal standpoint i don't care about alfred's young life more than i already know you know what i mean like we know alfred i don't need to know more but that's just me i don't think it really increases alfred's import or enjoyability it's interesting fun but it's not. I, I don't see this as earth shattering, right? Yeah, I, I. Well, no, not earth shattering. But I just don't. I don't know. I just don't need. Who knows where this is going? Like at the end of the issue, they say that this. Oh, this is a. This is this is a this is directed at me or whatever, you know. And I'm like, okay, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I don't need like an Alfred conspiracy. <laughs> um, but that's just. That's just, like I said. That's just my personal. I'm being a real downer this week, aren't I? <laughs> no, no, it's fine. Anyway, the book was really well done. Like the the whole engagement between like Bruce and Hush, and then like them threatening to torture Hush, and then showing up at Blackbeard's like um, gallery or whatever with a painting. And then that that whole like action scene was really thrilling, with some really like genuinely disturbing imagery. Um, I thought it was a really good comic. 
Yeah, yeah, same. Uh, and I, you know, I feel I do feel similarly to you about the Alfred thing. I thought that the the way they revealed it was it was fun because obviously, you know, you're you're kind of tuned to expect that to be a young Bruce. Um, just by the way the dialogue is going, and and so, you know, even if you pick up on that it's Alfred beforehand, it's it's a fun little vignette, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but but definitely the less interesting part of the comic, the the present day stuff, and just I feel like you know I think one of my biggest problems, or maybe, maybe not problems, but like hangups with recent Snyder Batman stuff has been the the like different narration types that he uses. Um, and I thought using Alfred as the, the narrator here worked really well. Yeah. I, um, I love it when a story can take something we've seen a bunch of times before and give us a new way to, to see it. I would have never anticipated we see a comic where Bruce Wayne is suspected of being hush. <laughs> like it's always <laughs> the other way around. And that was a really fun reveal. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that that is when Snyder is at his best. When Snyder gets to play around in the Bat universe and do something that hasn't been done that way before, he he usually has good results. I find the least successful Snyder is when Snyder is trying to do something else again. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what do you guys think of the backup? fine yeah i don't know um uh girl with the dragon tattoo hmm. uh i really enjoyed the art by sebastian fiumara so i really enjoy his art in general but i thought the story was a little bit slight yeah 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 i agree and again that's oh. not that's not the worst sin in the world either no no Anything else to add? Um, I did want to say that I think this is like some of Albuquerque's best stuff ever. It's so good. I mean, he's just great. He really, he really is. But there, there was something about just like his work in this issue that was just, ugh, it's just too good. All right, that brings us to Batgirl and the the Birds of Prey, uh, number ten. Written by the Bensons, illustrated by Roger Antonio. <sighs> Zach, I'm presuming you didn't crack this open at all, right? You you presume correctly, good sir. Vince, what do you think of this issue? Um, you know, it's the same as any any other one, just like pretty inconsequential, not like embarrassingly bad, but just not, you know, doesn't move the needle at all. Um, um. I guess a couple things of note: the uh, the the Watchman clock in their like home base has been destroyed. Yep. So, um, and uh, also crisis averted, right? If the midnight clock is gone, then yes. Ah, crisis averted. I like it. Um, and then wh- one thing I wanted to note, just on the art side of things, is that. Both uh, Roja Antonio, who drew this issue, and Claire Rowe, who drew the the like the first six or something, uh-huh. um, I I've, I've noticed this before, but I just wanted to point it out 
today uh, that the way that they both draw Dinah, she's like just as ripped as any of the male heroes, which I think is extremely cool. Like agreed. Um, I think most artists, most artists just tend to fall back on drawing females and, and males completely differently in the superhero realm. And they stick to pretty strict, uh, you know, body types when, you know, like the, the females tend to be, uh, you know, thin in the waist yet busty and also have, uh, you know, big asses. (laughs) And, and, um, and I just, I've noticed, I've noticed since this book began that Dinah is like, um, you know, she has really big arms. Like, she stands next to Ollie in this, and her arms are just as big as his. And she's got, she's kind of got a sleeveless thing going on, so you can really tell. And I, I, I'm sure that that's just a minor detail to most people, but, like, I noticed that, and I really appreciate it, because, like, she should be ripped, you know? <laughs> she, she, like, the way that she goes about her business, like, she should be just as ripped as Ollie. Yeah, I mean, what do they? They probably like rather than just like sitting around and watching Netflix like normal couples. They probably do the like the ladder pull up things. Yeah, <laughs> they just like out ladder pull up each other. To be fair, last week on Arrow, uh, Ollie tried to teach Felicity how to do the double Simon ladder. So you're right on the money there, Isaac. Yeah, that's. I mean, yeah. What else do you do when you're that physically fit? You don't <laughs> want to just waste that. Um. Speaking of, I, I'm like flipping through it and and notice that both Oliver and and Dick are in the issue. Are they? How are they like presented, written? The what? Say that again. How 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 do they fare like in this book? How are are they? You know like who um, kind of cut out Oliver and Dick. Oliver and Dick. Oh yeah. Um, you know, they're they're very much off to the side. And I think that that's appropriate for 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 this book. Um, and I would say that their voices, especially Dick's, are not quite. It's kind of like the Deathstroke thing. Like they, they don't quite sound how they do in their original. But they're also not asked to do much, so they kind of they kind of more or less have generic roles in this. And so okay. they don't really have. I mean, Dick Dick kind of shows a little bit of bravado, like he. Uh, tosses a grenade up in the air and has Huntress shoot the shoot through the pin with one of her arrows or something, and he makes it to crack about you know oh I gotta keep it gotta keep it fun around here or something like that, but you know just pretty generically generically written I think. I feel like Ollie is there because it would be ridiculous in universe if Dinah was kidnapped and they didn't call her boyfriend. Like, he is pretty much there as, like, fanboy outrage protection. Mm-hmm. Like, no, we call, we call them, it's fine. You know. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> there's a scene in this book that made me laugh out loud with its stupidity. <laughs> um, now, all three of us were big fans of Grayson when Grayson was around. And so, I, I have a lot of fond memories of, of that book. And the concepts introduced there, uh, including the hypnos, I, I I presume that's how they're pronouncing it, unless it's hypnose, which would make no sense. But they're like the the hypnotic implants in the eyes, right? And uh, 
there's a scene where Blackbird is trying to brainwash Helena and it's not working. And he says, how is it not working on you? And she leans in and she goes, hypnose, bitch. Which is <laughs> terrible. But it also, the way that she's leaning in, it looks like Bill Murray at the end of Lost in Translation. So now I will only picture he's whispering hypnos bitch <laughs> to uh, Scarlett Johansson at the end of that movie. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty bad. Uh, this book is, it's certainly not good, but it's not, like it's boring because it's not terrible. This is yeah. not a dumpster fire. No. This is just a regular subpar superhero book. It is. And you know they put the thing is is that they put the resources into it to 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 make it look like a quality, you know, like it's not like um Cyborg where there was an issue where it had two artists and neither of them fit together and both of them on their own would have been like bad fill-ins. Mhm. Like they obviously care about this book, and they get like Rose Antonio is a great artist, I think. So they're throwing resources at it. You know, it's not a dumpster fire. It's just n- never really interesting. This it feels seem to matter. Yeah, I was just gonna say this feels like the exact kind of book that I always rail against, where there's there's nothing to make this book matter more than just a place to see these characters. There, there's no there's no drive behind it. Yeah. Frankly, frankly, if you told me that this was a uh, tie-in comic to a Birds of Prey series that doesn't exist right now, and that it, you know, it it could have been like one of those digital first TV tie-in comics, you know, right? Like that's how that's how little it seems to matter with everything else that's going on, and also that's the general dynamic of the the the, the relationships between the characters and the storytelling. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's get to a book that was decidedly better. Detective Comics, number 956, written by James Tennant IV, illustrated by Marcia Takara. This is the League of Shadows finale. And um, we My get to... My God. Man, talk about some, some gravitas. Like, yeah. That whole finale section... First of all, I I usually associate Marcio Takara with more, um, that's what I'm looking for. I'm not used to seeing him be so, um... Loose? Loose, but also I feel like his work has tended to be more lighthearted than this. Okay. So this this is a dark story for him, too. Uh, but I think I think he works wonderfully here. Yeah, I really love what he did for this whole arc. But this issue in particular, he really thrives on. His cast was incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think I think this is the best um, issue of a DC comic that James Tynion has ever written. I think. I have one big problem with it. Um, oh, boy. What? No, no, no. It's just, just from, from a storytelling perspective. They never show you how the nuclear bomb is dismantled, do they? 
I, I thought Roz did it. He had a thing. Yeah, he said he was going to. Oh, okay. I yeah, missed he that. Says, uh, sh- 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 he uh, said, uh, understand that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, he says, uh, yeah, he says, these shadows, they'll break out of any prison you put them in, but I have the means to make sure they'll stay trapped. I'll also disarm the bomb as it is of my own design. Oh, okay. Well, I should read better. But I, I just think the way that Cass is written and the way that this played out had so much like bravado. This felt so important. I mean, this book feels like the most important book ever, you know? Yeah. And like, oh, yeah. And like, it does these large scale conflicts in a way that like, you know, we, when we read justice league, we always talk about how there are these massive conflicts that feel incredibly low stakes just because of the way that it's written and the way that it's depicted and something about detective you know, it's doing a similarly massive wide-scale attack on Gotham, and it feels like the end of the world, just barely being averted. Yeah, yeah, and just, like, Cass is really elevated here, just with her interaction with both Shiva and Roz, like, like, we have kind of, like, a, a like, Cass-Roz rivalry thing that started here, which is kind of kind of a big thing like yeah the, the closing thing where he's like such fury in those eyes i do hope i'll be seeing you again that's a great that's a great couple of panels absolutely mm-hmm. i feel like rachel ghoul is one of the most poorly used characters in dc comics i feel like oftentimes the fact that he's lived so long is not playing to it. I feel like my favorite interpretations of him are that he's not really evil. He's just lived so long he doesn't give a shit about those designations anymore. And so he acts in this like this weird sort of like um morality that makes sense to him and only him. Almost like the way Vandal Savage does as well in DC, you know. Um and I uh I thought he was used really well here. And I'm yeah. glad I'm glad to see Tynan being unafraid to just stuff this full of bat stuff. Mm-hmm. This book is chock full of bat stuff. Uh, what else do you guys want to say about it? I think that's all I've got. Zach? Yeah, same. I think so. We should talk about about the ending here. Um, at the end of the book, Batman talks about magic and how Roz Rachel, we're saying it, used magic on him. It's been a while since we've seen Batman fuck with magic. Yeah, yeah. So this is. How, didn't we already through like solicits and stuff know that Zatanna is going to be featured in the book? I believe so. I don't really read those, so I don't know. I well, I think I think so, and so I think that's kind of leading us into that, which we've not really seen much of Zatanna at all in Rebirth, have we? I don't think we've seen her since Trinity War. That can't be right. No, she had. Mm, mm. 
she probably was like around and didn't Justice League Dark go for a little bit longer after that? Yeah, but she I don't think it went as far as Dark Side War, did it? No, it definitely didn't, for sure. I don't think we've seen her since maybe we haven't seen her since DCU. I don't remember. Was she in anything in DCU? Because like Dark Universe didn't end up being a thing. So right. I don't think so. Yeah, I feel like she's maybe been off the table for a little while. All right, well, that brings us to Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, number 20, written by Robert Venditti, illustrated by Rafa Sandoval. And uh, <laughs> Vince, I have a feeling you have some thoughts about this. I don't know. Do I? Well, when Zach said he skimmed it before, you were uh, you gesticulated wildly. <laughs> Did I? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Hal Jordan? <laughs> Yeah, you were like, whoa, whoa. Well, I just think that's because we, we know that Zach wants to like this book. and, and... This this arc is, is just, oh, man. I, Excuse uh, me. It's a hard pass. I just, bless you, good sir. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I just could not care about, about this this arc. Yeah, um and this is I'm, a Sandoval issue too. I usually like go in pretty hard on those. It is, and he's I mean, he's bringing his A game to a book that doesn't deserve it. <laughs> doesn't deserve it. Yeah. Um I think it's interesting that the like final page villain reveal is a kaiju, a kaiju that's a sentient Cronus gauntlet created by Hal Jordan, <laughs> but you know, that's a really interesting idea in a book that's not that's very that is very boring on a month to month basis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this book somehow makes Kyle Rayner and Rip Hunter boring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so is that is that is the guy is that supposed to be like Sinestro's son from the future? Did they did they confirm that or is that? I have not heard that. Is he from the future? I'm telling you. I, yes, I didn't he is. read the last. He is. Okay. He is from the future. Um, he's probably, he's got to be like Sinestro's future son, right? I mean, that could make sense, I guess. I don't read this book closely enough to know. Me either. I didn't, re- <laughs> I didn't read the last issue and I just skimmed this one. So I'm, I'm just <laughs> spitballing here, but, uh, he uh, he looks like of Corrigarian descent, and he claims like ownership of the Sinestro Corps. So I just assume that's who he probably is. It makes sense to me. Yeah. Plus, he's kind of got that very like pre-Sinestro Corps jumpsuit thing going on. I, I will say this. I thought it would take longer for anyone to reference Rob Venditti's shitty gauntlet era Green Lantern <laughs> books, but here we are. Well, and and who better than Robert Venditti to reference Robert Venditti? <laughs> that is true. That is true. All right, that brings us to Justice League of America number six, written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Andy McDonald, Heart of a Bastich, part two. <laughs> Literally. Yes. 
Um, I thought this was this was fun. I thought this was uh, there were a couple of really interesting things established here. I like uh, how Vixen is being portrayed in this book, especially, mm-hmm. and I thought that the Ray Lobo stuff was a lot of fun. Yes, um, this is a book that. Uh, I'm not so much interested in the overall conflicts that they're facing, although, although I I I think I think they're good. They're they're well done. Um, but to me, JLA so far has been a bunch of really great individual moments between characters that haven't really got their due. You know, like Batman. <laughs> No, I'm just, not I'm just, like I'm just anyone else in yeah. this book. <laughs> like Lobo, Ray, Killer Frost, Adam, all had uh, Vixen, all had moments in this issue that were really well done. Really great character moments for them that they'll carry forward. And and that's what's exciting about it to me because Orlando, like, I think he's just as interested in the overall conflict as he is in these little character moments. But... I think he puts so much behind the, the the little moments that they outshine the big ones for me. Um, like the, all the stuff between Ray and Lobo carving out his heart to heal him and all that. Uh, Killer Frost accidentally taking off someone's arm and then saying, don't, don't tell anybody. anybody. You yeah. know? And like, it, that's gotta be a mix of like shame and, and embarrassment and just a, the reality that she was a villain, you know, and, and, and it's her only recourse, really, to, to do stuff like that. And um, the fact that Lobo really admires dolphins. And yeah, nice 52 reference. He almost yep. he almost sounded, when he was talking about it, he almost sounded like the 80s guy from Futurama. You ever <laughs> see that? Yeah. So, some people are sheep. You're a shark. <laughs> oh, man. Nice and, reference. Yeah. Um, Anything else? Now, I... Are you still not feeling this, Zach? I'm still, like... I love the character stuff, but, like, all the other stuff. Like, I just want... I I really need an issue where they're just, like, chilling at the at the Happy Harbor or whatever. You know? Where they're just hanging out. Because that's really, I think, where the book succeeds. is just when you're getting those, like, fun character interaction moments and and all of the superhero trappings like the like i could i could care less about this weird mythological arms race thing that's going on you know yeah um that that's just kind of a waste for me in my to me like i i just don't care about that that sort of thing it's fun it looks really cool um seeing them all like dressed up in in weird like hard light gladiator armor is cool but yeah i i I would kind of like to see this book like decompress a little actually because it's it's been fairly fairly like densely packed and and condensed since the start yeah um it's, it's interesting because i feel like I'm usually a guy who cares a lot about the overall picture and how books fit into sort of the jigsaw puzzle of of DC overall. In this book, though, I couldn't tell you half of what happens in the real plot. But I can tell you all the character moments. And I think that that's... um, 
I'd be upset if there was one great character moment per issue, and I was thinking, oh man, I wish we had more than that. But if there were five or six really solid character moments in this issue, whether it's Vixen saying like she's gonna open up a place for the the people of that village to work in now that the you know that arms race is gone, or it's the the designer of of the gear coming to work for the Justice League, or it's any of the oh, stuff that was Vince, great. Yeah, yeah, that is good. To any of the stuff that Vince mentioned before, like with the Lobo and the Ray or the Killer Frost stuff, like there's like five or six really solid moments here. And for a twenty page comic, that means every fourth page something really good is happening. And I can't be mad at a ratio like that. Yeah. Yeah, if anything, like this book is giving me yeah, yeah, like the the Lobo Adam bromance that I never the Ryan Choi Adam. <laughs> yeah. Even, like who would have ever picked that out, you know? <laughs> And uh, it's really good. Uh, so yeah, this book is still good, and and the art worked really well, I think, for the story arc too. So, all right, well, that brings us to New Superman number eleven, written by Gene Luen Yang, illustrated by is this Billy Tan? Billy Tan. Billy Tan. I get my tans confused sometimes. Um, this is the good one. <laughs> Yeah. This has a classic Superman Flash race. Oh. But, you know, done in the new Superman style. Perfect. Yeah. This was a lot of fun. This was an incredible comic. I I love this comic, you guys. <laughs> this, okay. Now I'm going to get to be the one to be a downer. No! Um, no. I like... I liked everything in this issue until we get to the end and this kind of subplot that's been building because I'm so tired of this kind of stuff. Which I subplot have... are you talking about? Hmm? The, the, the secret bad Superman. Superman oh, okay. Zero. Yeah. Superman Zero. Like, we are now, like, it's becoming increasingly diluted because we, we, we have new superman which is an extension of the whole last days of superman or whatever and and, you know that's been played out so much you know ad nauseum and then we have this like one step further from that and and you know i just like oh i don't know i like keenan he's awesome but now we have like old bad new superman (laughs) (laughs) and i just yeah i don't i don't care about that very much but okay i i I get that i i yeah i'm i'm there with you zach i don't think i'm we'll see where it goes but but you're right i think that that is the least interesting thing about this issue and thank god it was just the last page right right Uh, although we did get our nice mandatory amanda Amanda waller appearance that's true yeah hot take this is the best that harley quinn has been written since the Rebirth started. You guys want an even hotter Harley Quinn take real quick? Yeah. This is tangential, but um, I read the first issue of Injustice 2. Okay. And I liked Harley Quinn in that a lot. Oh, no. Wow. Who's writing that? Is it Tom Taylor? It's Tom Taylor. Yeah, he's back. Is he good again? <laughs> I, I mean, I feel like it's okay. I didn't read Injustice, um, but Neither I did play the game. And, uh, I don't know. 
I'd be interested to see what I, I if you guys were to to read that issue, and I'd be interested to see what you think about it. Yeah, I it, can do that it, for next time. It it does some uh, no promises. But. It does some things <laughs> that are you know kind of eye rolly, but I really like where the Harley Quinn in that in that universe is. But I digress. I I may check it out if I get time. Okay. That's that sounds interesting though. I will do it, Zach, because I care. Oh. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Way to shit on me. I'm just kidding. C- can we talk about how great that race, though, between uh, Keenan and Avery oh, Ho was? So much fun. Yeah. Oh, man. Just all the little mo- Like him faking that he. Uh, that he, he can't stop vibrating? Some, yeah, yeah. And, and a cool callback to you. That, to the Flash storyline where, where Barry, like, taught her how to stop vibrating. Yeah. Yeah. Yang is so good at pulling out those little moments from other books. He's a really thoughtful writer. And, yeah. And see, I think we knew, like, we knew all along that he had a, a great book in him. <laughs> and we were just waiting for him to get the opportunity to get it out. Because, like, I, I really feel like he was hamstrung writing on Superman um, in the in the New 52. Yeah. I mean, not, not that those weren't fine they were okay but um this is so much more than that yeah you just like you you felt the constraints while you were reading that book and on this book they feel like they're all off and and he's just he's like whipping up a new story every month and he's adding in all of these ingredients from around rebirth and and yet still writing his own like really awesome story with a new character I just think it's – I mean, to me, it's one of the best books of Rebirth. It's 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 right below Deathstroke and Superman and, you know, The Flash and stuff at this point. You know, it's like right under that tier. I hope it sticks around for a long time. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little worried about it, I have to admit. Um, and and if, if the yeah. book doesn't – if the book doesn't stick around, I hope Gene Yang sticks around DC. Mm-hmm. And I hope Keenan Kong is able to show up in other books somehow, or you know, I hope there's a place for him somewhere. You want to hear my hot take? Oh boy! No, it's a. I think you're like this. Okay. So because there is no more Connell, he'll join the Teen Titans. No, that'd be great. I'm down. All right. I would like that. Real quick, I don't usually I, – I, I feel like maybe this should be a thing because every once in a while there's a variant cover that piques my interest. But this issue has a really fun variant cover of all of the um, Chinese and Japanese and, and other um, Asian DC superheroes all having dinner together. I did oh. not see that. Yeah, check it out. And some characters we haven't seen in a while, like Doctor Light and and uh, the the Batman of Japan and Omac. Oh yeah, <laughs> Judo that's Master. Great. I think that that's is, her name. Yeah, that is her name. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. That is awesome. It's a great cover. Oh, and I, I think wanna, I, I think is that, that Ryan Troy too holding the camera. Yeah, in Doctor Light's hand. Oh yeah, that's fun. Uh-huh. This book awesome. has actually had pretty pretty fun variant covers. 
from the ones that I've seen, like really cool callbacks to other things. I don't know who does them. I don't recognize the artist. No. It's um Oh, it's Bernard Chang. Wow, good for him. I wouldn't have called that. Okay, cool. Alright, that brings so that's us that's a variant cover watch for the for the week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh that brings us to Red Hood and the Outlaws number ten, written by Scott Lobdell, illustrated by Dexter Soy, slept through by me. Oh, this Lovedale. is so boring. Lovedale's back on his bullshit. He is. I did. Did we need to see the Joker licking the uh, crowbar for the millionth time? That is. I, I think I've said this before on the podcast. That is second to only Martha Wayne's pearls being <laughs> shattered in things I never need to see in a DC comic again. What if? What if you saw Martha Wayne's pearl necklace being? being grabbed by the crowbar and ripped from her neck. What what would happen then? That's twisted. That's some, that's some injustice three shit right there. (laughs) That's the hole in things that Grant Morrison wrote so much about (laughs) the hole in things. I thought the hole in things was Jared Leto's butthole. (laughs) He's so twisted. And he is. Have you seen that great, picture that or a tweet that was going around of the the green the green jacket thing that he wore no no it's hilarious there's like a it's a picture of him at a at a like fashion show and someone is modeling this like long green trench coat and he is just in awe of it like a gay like jaw a gay just <laughs> the most beautiful thing he's ever seen and then it's a, a jump to him wearing it at some point <laughs> i'm looking at it right now that's great uh, Zach, you're a font of amazing information tonight. <laughs> yeah, you're really you're really pulling uh dragging me along here cuz I I've barely got anything. Oh well. My tank is empty. All right, well that brings us to Shade the Changing Girl number 8 cuz we're not going to talk about that shit comic anymore. Um written by Cecil Castellucci, illustrated by Marley Zarconi. Uh this issue is maybe the least plot-driven issue of Shade so far. It's just her fucking around in Gotham the whole time. Yeah. And that's that's not a bad thing. Um, oh, can I bring up one thing from All-Star Batman before I forget? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so it's a Gotham ride to me. So in that book, the Gotham Knights, their baseball team, plays the Miami Marlins, which yeah, is a which real, is real team. team. Yeah. So I presume the Gotham Knights are the Yankees? I guess so, yeah. Okay, that's all. That's all I have yeah. to say. Well, because because this issue, more than any I've ever read, makes it clear that Gotham is New York City. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> there there are a couple of, of Chicago things thrown into, like the museum. The front looks a lot like the Art Institute of Chicago. Oh, okay. Um, But, I mean, I, I also think it's not all that dissimilar from, like, the Metropolitan Museum of Art or... Yeah, and the, the way that the way that everyone talks about the city, it's clearly the way that people talk about New York and tour. Nobody in Chicago says fucking tourists, you know. You don't know um, that. Well, I mean, they do, but that's not a that's not that's that is a New York thing. A, cliche, a New York cliche. I was gonna say. Not, I'm not saying that 
no. Like I've been there many times I and know. I've never heard that. I'm I just know. saying in in media that's a New York. Yes, yes it is. Yeah. It's clearly meant to evoke New York. And yeah. the, the Statue of Liberty is in this issue. I, so. I believe there was a map of the DC universe years ago that put Gotham City in New Jersey actually, like kind of where Jersey City is. Um and technically the Statue of Liberty is in New Jersey, but that's a whole other diatribe I'm not gonna get on tonight. Um but yeah, I thought this was a fun issue, even if it didn't really do too much. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I I, uh, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed her seeing all the plays and like earnestly reacting to them. And yeah, it was great. I, I like there was a billboard for the play Bats instead of Cats. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Zach? Uh, yeah, I I liked it. Um, I, I, yeah, there were like a lot of small little things that I liked about it. I liked that, um, um, we kind of got like a, a moment between her and, uh, what's his name? The guy back on meta. meta. Yeah. Um, and then we got a bit of follow up, uh, with like why, what happened last issue happened at the dance with yes. like teacup and it's basically just like because kids are just like little jerks sometimes yep you know um but but it was also cool that like i, I don't know it's just uh that one little page was like all you really needed for that um just to like catch up on like everyone's reactions to all of that um but it, yeah it was good and and uh is this was one of probably the trippiest issues I think so far. I was shocked and I shouldn't be, but there was in the narration at one point, it just says, let me see if I can find it. It wasn't, it wasn't the first time we've seen it in a young animal book, but it just came out of nowhere so much. She says like, fuck it or something. And I was like, wow, you realize this really is a uh, a totally different ball game than regular DC. Mm-hmm. I mean, as if her like throwing up rainbows wasn't enough for me to uh, be aware that yeah, throwing f bomb in there for me. Yeah, I, I loved the the bit that like you know you know some species have a second set of teeth in their yeah. stomachs, <laughs> and the guy's just like that's cool. Yep, better for chewing. <laughs> better for chewing. Yeah, that's what it was. Um, I also wanted to point out the, um, the Tamra Bond villain, um, backup thing where Uh it's like a color process piece. I thought that was really well done. Um, and I hope everybody goes to the back of the issue and checks that out too. Agreed. I think coloring is very misunderstood in comics. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, good issue. That brings us to Zach's favorite book, Suicide Squad, number seventeen, written by Rob Williams, illustrated by Tony S. Daniel. Vince, you didn't read this, right? I Wilkerson did. I looked at all the pages and I nodded. I don't even think I that's said, Wilkerson. That's I think not no. I thought the definition of Wilkerson was that you you open it up and you look at the pages but you don't read them. 
No, I think Wilkersoning is generally you just don't care at all. I don't even Are... think about you. Okay. <laughs> that, oh, that's um, that's Don Draper. That's Don Draper. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, then Ostrowskiing is uh, looking, opening it up, looking at all the pages, and not reading any of the words. I think you maybe at one time maybe that was what Wilkersoning mean, but it, I stopped doing that even for most. Okay. Days, so. so... So it's become more defined by you as to not even be looking at it. Right. Well, it is my name, so I think yeah. I can decide what it means. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I'm, 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 uh, I'm being... <laughs> I'm kidding. Your name is your name. It's my name. <laughs> oh, man. Plus, so, it's my favorite. Plus, we're talking about my favorite book, so... That is true. Absolutely. Yeah, so I did look at all the pages. So I saw the end where uh, Zod is trying to <laughs> blast the uh, kryptonite bomb out of his brain, for sure. <laughs> but um, I didn't read any of the words, so you'll have to fill in the blanks for me. You missed some good words. I bet I did. Yeah, oh, but we can't, we can't, before before we talk about the words, we have to talk about the the. The moment where there are no words, there are only feelings. There are there are only two two humans and and their unbridled passion for each other. Are you talking about the uh, the wonderful Harley Quinn uh, flag like romance scene? Yeah, she literally puts her finger on his lips to say no words. <laughs> right. I will say one thing. The best thing Rob Williams has written in all of Rebirth is the character Cosmo Nut. Yes. Who yes. just like says like the shape of a peanut. Like, I don't know if he says peanut or just says like, you know, I don't know what it is, but Cosmo Nut, genius. Yeah. Literally, yeah, yeah. That's, Why that's isn't not... that book more like this? Why isn't this book that all the time? Yeah. Um, I want Cosmo Nut to join the team. Yeah, I do too. Honestly, okay, so like, this is maybe the issue where the team composition, like the team as a whole, has been the the least um, abrasive and and like uh, offensive to to my sensibilities. I guess there were there were some actually like I guess I'm gonna like play into this trope of me really liking the book. Um, <laughs> There was the the moment where like Enchantress is like, what did she say? Uh, oh, am I your black magic blood genie flag? Very well, whole hocus, expletive pocus. I I thought <laughs> that's a moment that's not, you know, it's whatever. I can get behind that. Yeah. Sure. Black magic blood genie. Okay. Uh, and like. Killer Croc doesn't doesn't vomit or have diarrhea or whatever <laughs> like bodily function he can't control. Uh, Got my tums. <laughs> uh, and, and and I actually like even like I thought Zod was like not the most annoying thing in the world in this issue. Here's my big problem with this issue. This issue is the most gritty a mainstream DC book could ever be. Essentially... I, I don't know about that. Okay, Waller... But, but finish your point, finish your point. Waller lets what's-her-fuck execute four people. Okay, four, okay. Four employees. Yeah. Waller's like, yeah, it's collateral damage, whatever. And I'm then, so tired of Waller just, like, being five steps ahead of everybody. Well, that, yes, and, like, you know, the fact that 
that she took all but four bullets out of her gun, knowing that she would kill just those four people. And the fact that there's no real self-destruct mechanism. It's just, it's all so over the top and grim and gritty. It's dumb. Yeah, you're right. I love... <laughs> I love the bit where the, uh, the like, nuclear guy <laughs> is about to explode. <laughs> and he's just... I can feel my essence exploding. <laughs> Which I one of us has, has the guts to say that to our wives? <laughs> I was just going to say say that during sex. Yeah. <laughs> 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 to which Zod follows up. Zod will not die. Ergo. Uh, how fucking how much would it blow your mind if you did say that and then your wife responded with what Zod said and you didn't know she read the book she was like she didn't read the book Yeah, she just, just, she just knew she just knew what to say that's what you say obviously yeah. <laughs> uh, god damn this is a oh. bad book though uh, uh, s- small thing I really like the coloring <laughs> I always have to find the positive thing. I really like the coloring in this issue. It has kind of like a flat tone to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, like a very, very, lots of oranges and greens and, and purples. Which are traditionally all like very villainy colors. So I like it. It's a pretty book. I'm trying to find who colored it. Uh, it's probably Floro. Sandra Floru, maybe not. I feel no, like she to, usually... Tomu Mar- Tomu Mori. Tomu, San- Tomu Mori, that's it. Sandu Flore. Sandu is the inker. Yeah, yeah. Flore. Flore. Sandu Flore. Yeah, Tomu Mori. I, I assume is. I think that's a, a male. Is that right? I don't I know. know. Who, he or she, the their colors have... I've been a big fan of, of Tomu's work for a while. Now, so. I, I have not seen this, but as our resident variant cover expert, Zach, mm-hmm. how is the Wills Portacio variant? It, it's, uh, I like the uh, the kind of prehistoric cake vibe thing that they're going on. It's a real monster hunter. Like, he, he probably killed a dinosaur and made that cape, I think. Okay. That's, that's my my fanfic that I've written in my head to explain that cover. Okay. Uh, off air, ask me about Wills Portacio. Okay. My favorite multiversity story of all time involves him. So, that's it. it uh, listeners, if you meet me at a convention, if you buy me a beer, I'll tell you the story. Uh, it's, not, it's not that bad. It's just, it involves uh, multiversity editor emeritus Walt Richardson, and it's great. Um, okay, so... <laughs> That brings us to Supergirl number nine, written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Brian Ching. This is the first part of the Batgirl crossover, Escape from the Phantom Zone. And uh, I don't have too much to say about this other than Ching's artwork continues to look great. We got a fucking Magog appearance. And this Uh, was a lot of fun. Yeah, apparently as a, a member of the new Fatal Five, maybe? Yes. That's what it seems like. Yeah, which we've been talking about. 
on the on the DC three cast. Yeah, who else was in the new Fatal Five? Oh, I don't know who's in the new one, but I think I think we only know of now Emerald Empress and. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. And uh, Magog. Magog. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, th- yeah, this was a lot of fun. I love the way that Orlando wrote Batgirl. the The best moment might have been moment of like single moment of the week in DC. Maybe was Babs like asking about the Phantom Zone. I forget exactly what she asks, but and Supergirl like responds with one part of her response, and Babs is like okay, good, and then, like, jumps in. Yeah. Before she, yeah she, asks, she asks if it's lethal. Yeah. And she says no. Yeah. It's no, like, but no it's the worst good. Then... Yep. And then she jumps in. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, like, perfect for her character. You know, it's just, like, it's good. Yep. Awesome moment. Yeah. I, I don't mean to give the book short shrift, but I don't have that much to say. I think Brian Ching's artwork is really good. Fit, is a really good fit for Orlando's Supergirl. And I'm glad that he has only missed an issue or two so far. Mm-hmm. All right, that brings us to Superwoman, number 10, written by Kate Perkins, illustrated by Steven Segovia. This was very much an issue about figuring out how to keep Lana's character involved in the Superbooks without her powers. And the answer they kind of give is, well, her suit has powers now. Yep. <laughs> Which is fine. It's fine. If it's going to allow more, like, John Henry Irons and Lana Lang stuff, I'm cool with it. Yeah. I've I got a thing. I don't ever remember ever hearing about Zeke. Neither Did do I. Did I just totally gloss over that? No, I don't, I don't remember it either. Vince? I, no, I, I don't. Okay. As long as I, I, I just wanted to check and see if that was something that was like in an earlier issue, because I don't think I, I don't think I even knew that Natasha had a brother. Neither did I. Maybe this is like a, what if this is like a rebirth thing, a reborn thing? I don't know how like Clark and Lois being married would make that a thing, but <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's a, it, this is a fun issue, though. Yeah, yeah. All right, that brings us to the final issue of the week. Wonder Woman number 22, written by Greg Rucka. Illustri- uh, guest art by Mirka Andolfo, who I'm a huge fan of. Mm-hmm. And did really, really nice work in this issue. Yes, I love, definitely. I love the scene of... So essentially it takes place at a, at a celebrity, like... Uh, auction where people can bid, bid on dates for celebrities and i like how bruce wayne and lex luthor are willing to pay like seven million dollars a piece to go out a date with wonder woman yeah yeah that was a really great uh moment for them i it, it was a very um that's another very like classic dc um sort of uh you know world connectivity type thing that that was kind of missing in the new 52 you know yeah. It's just a really fun scene to involve Bruce Wayne in, even though he's not going to be a part of the issue otherwise. Right. You know? it, it, it took nothing to add them into it. Yeah. It just made it more fun. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I, I have to also say, um, 
Mirka Andolfo's art. Like I loved the way that she drew. It was very um, the auction. I mean, was very like kind of kind of sexy, but not like cheesecakey or or exploitive. I completely agree. You know, like it was yeah. it was like the perfect amount of what that type of thing should be. Uh, in a comic book intended for everyone, you know. Not not all ages, but you know, you know yeah. what I mean, like all uh, types of reader. Yeah. Everybody was dressed to the nines. Everybody looked really elegant and beautiful. It's great. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a fun issue. I think this is actually. I've not been down on this God Watch storyline, but it hasn't struck me the same way that Year One did. This is my favorite issue, I think, of the God Watch storyline. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. Well, that wraps it up, folks. Uh, relatively short show for us this week. Surprising, considering like all the all the books this week. It felt like a lot. It did feel like a lot, but we, we powered through. We powered through for you. You're welcome, listener. Um, but as I said... Add this out if you want. I mean, we can... I've got, I've got stuff. I don't know. I'm pretty tired, man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but no, uh, as we said at the top of the show, please go to multiversitycomics.com for all the Lazarus Project stuff you can shake a stick at. And uh, we'll have an interview with Ben Lazarus Percy. Project. What'd I say? You said Lazarus Project? Project Lazarus... contract it's after midnight i'm tired um but anyway uh we'll have an interview with ben percy going up the same day this drops and then next week hopefully same time the episode drops we'll be dropping a christopher priest interview so we shall see um if you want to talk to us about the book or anything else you see related or anything else life related if you want to talk to us about i don't know no fashion tips Oh, I know about that. Green, it... green, green trench coats for days. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am on Twitter at Brian is an app. I'm at VJ underscore O S T R O W S K I. And I'm at Sir Fox 89. And if you want to talk about how Guardians of the Galaxy 2 is the best Marvel movie <laughs> and how we're seeing the the unfurling of the modern Star Wars trilogy, uh, come talk to me. We're going to have to see this movie next week, Vince, just to uh, get in on this. Yeah. I really do. I've, I've been meaning to. Me too, but... I just... I, behind the scenes, I won't stop talking to them about it, and I'm <laughs> totally building up all their expectations to the, to the breaking point. They're going to hate it, and then I'm going to be crushed, so... <laughs> See, this is why we all need to live closer by. Because I get this picture like I'm doing something in the house and I hear the horn honk and look outside and Zach's there in his car. It's like, come on, Brian, we're going to the movies. Oh, and- I'd be Kramering you constantly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, buddy. I'd be like opening your fridge, taking stuff out. That's cool with me. Uh, th- does that mean I'm Jerry? You're Jerry, yeah. Okay, I'm Jerry. Uh, you're a you're Elaine. <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot of sexual tension between us, so that <laughs> makes sense. And uh, you're Elaine because you're the you're the most successful out of any of us. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> and if you've ever seen me dance, then <laughs> <laughs> who's our Newman? Um, I fanboy. 
We got to. Uh, oh, don't don't do that. I fanboy. Yeah. Oh God. Hello, multiversity. Jurgens. 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 There we go. Jurgens. How many of our shows devolve into what is who from Seinfeld? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, folks, until next time.